Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hi, Kavi. What's the weather like with you? Well, I've been indoors all day. I see some sun outside. Wow, sounds like the same here. Anyway, cheers. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, stories about languages and the people who speak them. I'm Kavita Pillay in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I'm Patrick Cox, also in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but a mile away from Kavi. And we're not in a recording studio this time, which is why we may sound a little different. Wherever you are right now, we hope you're holding up. Times are different, and so we're going to bring you something different. Today, we have a couple of stories from people at home in isolation. Of course, many of us are talking with loved ones all over the world. We're talking in English and in other languages. And sometimes we're talking with people who we haven't been in touch with for a while. And all this, the languages, people from the past, it's bringing back memories of particular words and phrases. Memories that are getting rewritten now, updated. Hi, Mom, can you hear me? Yes, but we don't want video. This is my mom, Indra Pillay. Like a couple billion of us, she and my dad are at home. Well, right now I am in the bedroom, staring out through the big window. We have not gone outside for the last 10 days. Please forgive the bad audio. I tried walking mom through the voice memos app on her phone, which would have sounded better. But if you've tried getting your 75-year-old mom to do something technical at distance during a pandemic, you'll understand why I recorded her on Zoom. I grew up in Ohio, and mom would often tell us stories of her childhood in the South Indian state of Kerala. Usually, this was in response to something going on in the world. And there was always some Malayalam proverb to go along with these stories. Which means, taking out with spade what could have been removed by a needle. Yeah. And that came to my mind because it looks very timely. I thought I'd heard all of her stories by now. And then we entered this pandemic, and she remembered one more. It was when I was six years old. I was uh, living with my grandmother because there were no good schools where my father was working. And she lived in a village in Kerala, which, as you know well, is a beautiful place along the backwaters of Kerala, which is a tourist destination these days. We are talking about 70 years back. It was rather typical how it was segregated along caste lines. My mom remembers that there was a Hindu temple at the center of this village, and the upper caste Hindus lived nearest to the temple. It was at a higher elevation, and it never flooded there. In other words, it was the best real estate. And then you walk down from the hilly part to the plain areas. That is where all the rice paddies were. This is where the Christians in the village and people of my mom's caste lived. My maternal ancestors were lower caste rice farmers. They were the equivalent of peasants. So they had to lease the rice paddy land from the upper castes. Who didn't do any work? They were always a kind of lazy. They took advantage of the lower caste. They made the lower caste people believe that they were 
superior and they were closer to God. But there were people even lower in the Hindu hierarchy than my mom's family, and they lived further away across a river. Across the river lived the untouchable people or the Dalits. Untouchables, Dalits. In India, they're the lowest caste. They're the laborers. They had a hand-to-mouth existence. Suddenly, one day, we heard that there was a cholera outbreak among the Dalit people. And the whole village was scared. To me, cholera feels as distant as the plague. The only thing I know about it is that it's terrible. Then what it produces is a horrible, watery diarrhea and sometimes vomiting. In India at that time, uh, the custom was if someone has diarrhea, they will stop giving them any fluids, which is exactly the opposite of what one must do for cholera. You can get dehydrated within 24 hours and die. My grandmother's house was just across the river. And I remember as a child, the terror of it. During the daytime or nighttime, we hear this wailing sounds from my hut across the river. And like we knew somebody died because that is the only time when we heard that kind of wailing from a home. And then when we look across the river at night, we will see a funeral pyre burning. And that is how we knew somebody died. My mom isn't religious. She is a retired pathologist, so she spent much of her career behind a microscope. Many people believe there is an all-loving, kind, compassionate God who will sit there, dish out our wishes as we pray. I do not believe in that kind of a God, but he may be under a giant microscope and somebody is watching us. Imagine that we are looking at uh, uh, a bacterial colony through a microscope. The bacteria do not realize we are watching them. And, you know, we have no special interest in them. We are letting them do whatever they do. And then they grow, the colony gets too big, and we introduce an antibiotic or a chemical, kill many of them, and then see what happens. They mutate, they do something else. So this is my concept of some other highly developed civilization, not people, whatever they are, watching us. And yet she does have a favorite line of prayer, especially right now. It's kind of the amen of Hinduism. This is in Sanskrit. It goes like this. Loga samasta sukhino pavandu, which means let the whole world be well. The reason I pray that, that's the only thing I can do. I mean, you know, in spite of all my scientific mind, I am a human being. I have emotions. And how can I... Yeah. Billions of us have been united by the very thing that's forcing us to stay apart. 
And so this feels like a moment when certain contradictions make sense in ways they wouldn't have even a few weeks ago. The world is big and the world is small. And in that world, my favorite retired scientist is left saying prayers in a dead language that will outlive all of us. Subtitle is part of the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective. Among the other podcasts is Rumble Strip. This is a podcast that focuses on the everyday, not the extraordinary, not the you'll never believe this type story. I don't know how Erica Heilman, the host, does it, but there are just such fresh voices with things to say that I've never heard before. Right now, Erica has a mini-series going on with Rumblestrip listeners talking about life inside their self-isolating four walls. Check it out along with all of the Hub & Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. I am in my daughter's bedroom, which is my office normally. This is uh, Alina Simone. She lives in an apartment in New York City with her husband and nine-year-old daughter. She has constructed a weird fort on her bed, like a, a homework fort, because that makes it funner to do homework or classwork, rather, during the school day. So um, I'm sitting next to a weird fort. Alina and her family are among the millions of New Yorkers sitting this thing out at home, while the numbers of new coronavirus cases, of hospitalizations, of deaths, are all continuing to rise. Alina's been a rock singer, a journalist, a podcaster, but right now she's making a documentary film about some environmental activists in Russia. She has hundreds of hours of footage from there. And every week, the activists in Russia are adding to that, sending her more video that they're shooting on their phones. So Alina's spending much of this time at home watching these images from thousands of miles away. I am translating transcribing, logging a lot of Russian footage. I guess that's the good thing about being holed up at home, that I can just go through all this boring stuff and, um, you know, grind it out. It's nearly always like that when you're going through raw tape, I know from podcasting. There's just endless hours of it. And then occasionally you just come across a gem. Alina's finding that. And she's also coming across some Russian words and phrases from her past. I left the Soviet Union as a baby with my parents. I was only one and a half when I left. And since I was raised with them, I really learned Russian, obviously from them. And it's this odd sort of antique Soviet Russian. So my parents who speak, you know, beautiful, fluent Russian, they sometimes struggle to understand contemporary Russian, which is what I've discovered through translating this footage. So I've spent much more time than them in modern day Russia. But their Russian is obviously like grammatically, you know, and vocabulary wise, generally much better than mine. But, you know, people talk in slang. The language has evolved. And my parents' vocabulary hasn't really evolved with it. And sometimes phrases that were common during Soviet times when they learned Russian have been repurposed or their meanings have changed and we've gotten in some arguments. So I tend to turn to them when I don't understand something and just send them a little audio clip or call them. And there was this 
one clip I had of this environmental activist and someone called her, a citizen called her saying that they were being harassed by other people in the neighborhood for some of their, you know, environmental activism. And then she was trying to calm them down and she said, okay, okay, nipanti, nipanti. And I could tell from the context that what she was saying was, calm down, it's okay. I mean, it was really clear she was trying to comfort this person, but I'd never heard this phrase, nipanti. So nia means don't, but panti, I had no idea. So I got in touch with my mom and my mom said, oh, I know exactly what that is. That means don't put on airs, which already is like a really weird thing to say in English from a Jane Austen novel. So I wasn't, <laughs> I was kind of like <laughs> skeptical of my mom's translation. But what she meant was, oh, like that this person's being, I don't know, like a snob or something. It just made no sense. And, you know, finally I asked the subject of my film what she meant and she said exactly what I thought from the context. She said, oh, nipanti means, you know, calm down, settle down. So this phrase might have changed meaning. Maybe maybe it was slight. Maybe, you know, maybe don't put on airs wasn't quite an accurate translation. I, I can't really say myself, but it was clear that there was a chasm between, you know, the modern day and the Soviet day understanding of this phrase. There's this word in Russian, maladets, and basically it's sort of a a verbal fruit roll-up of, I'm proud of you, you're awesome, and yay. <laughs> you know? It's sort of like all these good things, and it's the thing you can tell someone that basically conveys that you think they're great, and you're really proud of them, and they should be proud of themselves. It's an awesome word. It really is. And it's used all the time. It's not the kind of word that's associated with a generation. It's a universal word. Everyone uses it. I tell my subjects all the time, you know, when they send me some amazing piece of footage, I, that's a word I use. I said, maladets, you know, this is just so great. Thank you. The other night I was WhatsApping with my main subject and my daughter and her daughter who are the same age. And my daughter is knitting a coronavirus scarf so she, like, we have this idea that maybe by the time she's done with this huge ball of yarn and has a very long scarf, the coronavirus will also be over or the quarantine will be over. And so she was showing my subject, like, on the computer camera, the scarf that she's knitting. And my subject was so impressed that my daughter could knit. She was, she was saying, tell her she's a maladietz. And I just had to stop and go, I, I can't. There's no such word as maladietz. And my subject was shocked. She was like, what do you mean? That, that, that word has to exist. That's the word. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's such an important word. And I, I tried to explain to her, I'm like, yeah, it's, um, I can say a bunch of sentences to her that will convey the meaning, but there's no word. And then she said, okay, well, tell her she's an umnitsa, <laughs> which is, I hadn't thought of this, but it's sort of the same it's it what it means is sort of that you're very smart but that's a weird thing to say in english right like if i was to translate it very literally it would say tell her she's a smarty but people don't tell each other they're smarties in in english whereas in russian it just it's another way of 
you know, complimenting someone. It's a really normal compliment. So I was like, oh, that one's tough too, <laughs> you know? So, um, so yeah, and I, those are words that I really miss. It's really a bummer. And I was thinking the closest translation for maladiots might be, you're awesome or, you know, yeah, you're awesome. But when I think of the word awesome, to me, it's so related to the era I grew up in, to like the 80s and 90s. It seems a bit like it dates you. It just, it just, it doesn't have that same purity. My collaborators were just sending me lots of footage and lots of inquiries, and they were kind of frustrated that I wasn't being as responsive as they're used to my being. Since my daughter's at home, she's never used these particular programs that New York City public schools are using for online learning. I just had very, very little time. And so there was this odd disconnect where I'd started out making a documentary about people who are in a much worse situation than I am, right? I mean, in a much more dramatic situation. I'm the documenter. I am the storyteller. They're the ones in the situation. And suddenly I kind of felt like our roles were reversed, that, wow, sitting here in New York City, the epicenter of a pandemic, I might actually be in a worse situation than they are at this particular moment. And I didn't want to say that, you know, because their situation is very bad, and I, I recognize that. But just at this particular moment, <laughs> I feel really like embarrassed or reticent to explain to people who don't quite have the same home responsibilities or aren't quite the state of quarantine that we're in what my issues are. Alina Simone in New York City. We're planning more episodes about the words and phrases that are coming up for people right now, and we'd love to hear from you. Do you have a story about a word or a phrase in another language that's been on your mind in the midst of this pandemic? If so, you can email us at subtitlepod at gmail.com. That's subtitlepod at gmail.com. Or tweet us. We're at Lingopod. Our sound designer is Tina Toby. Thanks also to our co-producers at the Linguistic Society of America, to Peter Trier-Hasbussen, and to The World, on your local public radio station every weekday, one hour of international news, essential listening. We'd also love it if you could take a moment to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. We'll be back with another episode soon. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.